0: This is The Literary Life. I'm Mitchell Kaplan. I've owned Books and Books and been a bookseller for over 35 years. What you're about to hear are conversations about all things literary, with writers, readers, publishers, old friends, new friends, and anyone who might wander into our store with an interesting story to tell about their connection to books, reading, or writing. These will be informal, over the backyard fence kind of conversations. The kind I and booksellers everywhere have each and every day. Armando Lucas Correa has taken a long winding road to becoming a best-selling novelist here in the United States. Coming to Miami from Cuba in 1991, Armando has written two best-selling novels, The German Girl and the just-published The Daughter's Tale. They are best-selling novels all over the world, translated into 14 languages and published in more than 20 countries. He currently lives in Manhattan with his partner and their three very lovely children. Welcome to The Literary Life, Armando. Thank you. It's my pleasure. And I really mean they're very cute kids. <laughs> I think I saw them yeah, on, yeah, your, you know, I, on your I, website. I call
1: them my, my, troop, my, my tropa, and the hashtag in Instagram. It's, you know, it's, they're part of my life. It's How old amazing. are they now? Emma is 14, and the twins are 10. The boy and the girl, Lucas and Anna. Oh, that's terrific.
0: Um, and in fact, I believe you wrote a book mm-hmm. about... How I have my kids. How'd you had that your kids? it was
1: Emma in, in is in English is searching for Emma. And I presented my first book here in Books and Books yes. many years ago. <laughs> <laughs> and it's coming out again. Yes, too. Yes. I'm lucky because you know, Judith Gord, uh, she's the president of Atria when I presented my my novels and she moved to Harper Collins. And they, she wants to publish my, my, my book, you know, next year. We're working right now. I'm doing an update. We're going to have pictures and it's called Searching for Emma.
0: And you'll talk about the twins too a little bit. Yes,
1: yes. I think, you know, I have to be careful because um, I think I'm going to have like a kind of introduction, like a letter to the three of them because, you know, having Emma. It was the opportunity then, two years later, to have my twins.
0: You, yeah, you have a boy and a girl, right? A boy and a girl. I have twin boys. Oh, my God. So I well, know, and I have a girl that's a little older as well. So I know what you're going through. <laughs> <Dude>. <laughs> but it's fun. I think oh, having great. a twin is, is really fun. But I yeah. think you got it a little easier with a boy and a girl than two boys. Yeah. I, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, but my guys are great too. <laughs> but today and tonight here at Books and Books, we're celebrating the publication of the paperback. Yeah. of The Daughter's Tale. And that means there have been some remarkable reviews, as all of your reviews usually are. And here's what the New York Times says about The Daughter's Tale. Breathtakingly threaded together from start to finish with the sound of a beating heart, Correa's prose is atmospheric. But what's most fascinating about this novel is his portrayal of terrified, yet strong female characters who anticipate future trials and methodically work through them. Amanda knows that each decision she makes will have an impact on the next, but her goal is always survival. They say it so beautifully. They capture it so well. And it raises the question for me about your two books, Mm -hmm. which are in essence, they're like bookends almost to Mm -hmm. some extent. Um, You portray and you have such an empathetic feeling uh, toward your characters, particularly your women characters. Mm -hmm. and Mothers, yeah. Mothers and... and, and Daughters, yeah. And and later daughters Mm -hmm. as well. Tell me about that. Uh, You know... um, I'm
1: Cuban. I grew up in, in Havana. And my house it was full of women. It was my grandmother, my mother, my sister, my aunts. And my mother divorced my father when I was like a two years old, because you know, it was during the 60s, and she wants to be an engineer. And my father wants to have my mother, you know, taking care of us, my my sister and me and she said no i want to have a career you know she was in her early 20s and i always admire her you know she's a strong woman and she's going to be here today oh, is she? yeah yeah oh, she lives in miami she's 80s and she's still working and that's reading beautiful. she's my read fir- I, I i always said she's my first editor you know and i think that's part of my uh, even I am not Jewish, you know, I, I'm not part of the Holocaust. So. Everybody thinks
0: you are. Everybody, you no, know, <laughs> no, no. And you know, when I went to
1: Jerusalem, uh, I, I got and someone was interviewing me for the Jerusalem Post, and the guy said, Your last name is Jewish. I think, you know, okay, maybe, you know, where, you know, my grandparents are
0: from Spain, you never know, but I am not Jewish. <laughs> I, I have to tell you that I did know, you know, I grew up in Miami Beach, uh-huh. and and Cubans who came over in the early '60s, who were Jewish, mm-hmm. ended up on Miami Beach as yeah, well. Yeah. and I knew a number of Koreas as oh, well. Oh yeah, you know the
1: the, the <laughs> most famous Correa in Colombia. The, my both book, you know, the first country in Spanish that made in the bestseller uh, was Colombia. And the most famous Correa is a Jewish guy in Colombia. So, oh my God, you have to meet Correa. He goes, okay, uh, there is a lot of Correa. My Correa <laughs> is from Portugal and Spain, but you are. What you are, you know. Yeah. You know. But we, ne- we never know where we've come exactly. from. Exactly, no, no. Yeah. So
0: really, I mean, the book that really launched you was mm-hmm. The German Girl. The German Girl, yeah. The German Girl was a book about uh, the St. Louis. The St. Louis, you know. And and to read a little bit of what Thomas Kennelly, who wrote Schindler's List, uh-huh. said uh, about The German Girl, this fascinating novel of the tragic St. Louis, the ship of rejected humans, is a brilliant entree into the terrors, ardors, endeavors, hopeless valor, and souls of those who have written off who have been written off not only by a tyrant Hitler, but who have been rejected as a nuisance by a self-absorbed world. Now, in a new age of people in peril and adrift on the world seas, this magnificent novel and the unexpected and intricate tragedies of its powerfully imagined characters bespeaks this in- eternal injustice. Oh, you he, know, uh, I mean, think about <laughs> it that. It was
1: great. I went to uh, a couple of book festivals in Australia for the German girl, and he received me in his beautiful apartment. He gave me a tour, you know, in the area. Uh, he was such a generous he, man. He's a gentleman. Yeah.
0: But he captured your book really perfectly. Yeah. So that was the first yeah. one. That, so the, tell me mm, tell me the the beginning of that. Where did that stick in your mind? Yeah. Um was that something you had it's, always it's, it's heard exactly. about Exactly. It's
1: about the St. Louis, and we can explain a little, this yes. is the St. Louis. It was an ocean liner from uh, Germany that in May 1939, they have uh, over 900 Jewish refugees, all of them with permit of disembark uh, in Cuba. They pay a fortune uh, for the tickets and for the permit. The permit was of around $175, and the ticket was around 900 French mark. Hitler never allowed them to bring cash uh, in the boat. But all the jewelry camera, that's the reason there is a lot of picture of the because at that moment, you know, the the Leica, the camera, it yeah. was one of the most famous one and expensive one. And most of this family has like a three or four cameras. And that's the reason we're lucky that we have a lot of pictures from the San Louis. And the boat two weeks later arrived in Havana. And they were not allowed to disembark. They were still like a weak negotiation with the government. Someone from New York, from the committee helping a Jewish refugee from Europe, arrived in Havana, meet the president, and the president required another $500 per passenger. That was impossible, Mitch. At that moment, the organization has around $1 million to help over 15 million Jewish uh, around the world. And he asked for a discount a simple discount of around $23, I think. And he said, to have to leave, you know, the boat has to leave with everybody June 2nd. Only 28 people disembarked because they paid the money, they negotiated. Oh, some of them, they bought another kind of visa, another permit of disembark. The, the boat uh, hit close to Miami. They tried to negotiate with Roosevelt at the moment. Roosevelt said no. They're trying with Mackenzie, the Prime Minister in, in Canada, and they say no. If you go to the uh, Roosevelt Library, they said they never send them back to Germany, but that's not true because the boat went back to Germany. In the middle of the ocean, they got the permission of disembark in Belgium, France, Holland, and Great Britain. You know, sept- it, it, we're talking about June. In September, the war started, and the only one who survived the war it was the Great Britain one. Most of the uh, refugees ended in Auschwitz. Some of them survived because they were children and they were sent to the orphanage. The people, the, the children in France, they went to this non-occupied zone in France. You know, the Vichy government, and they survived. Around 200 survived, from more or less, from the boat. It was. Uh, Terrible tragedy, and the first time that I heard about it, I was like 10 years old. It was my grandmother. My grandmother is a daughter from my mother's side. She's a daughter of uh, Spanish refugees in in Cuba. They arrived at the beginning of the 20th century, and in May 1939, she was pregnant with my mom. And I remember, you know, growing up during the 70s and 80s, and my grandmother said, always in May, Cuba is going to pay very dearly because what they did to the Jewish refugees. For the next 100 years. I said, this woman is crazy. I always said, my God, you know, I I didn't do anything wrong. You know, it, it was in my mind all the time. When I went to college, I'm trying to find more information about the St. Louis, and I had access to the National Archive for my thesis. And when I went there, you know, th- this old lady came to me and said, you know, whispering, because in Cuba, <laughs> you have to whisper. And she said, Armando, there used to be like a three big boxes, I labeled label with the San Luis, and all of them disappeared during the seventies. Then wow. I started doing, doing research, uh, my obsession. I arrived in 1991 in Miami. I started working in the Herald.
0: Did you have a novel in mind or was it no, just a No, not really. Just I think it was with...
1: more about. Talking to the you know the survivors. Because there was, there was a Jewish community I, in Cuba yeah, at the time. Exactly, well. but at the same time, because I am a journalist, I was thinking to do like a nonfiction book, like a very heavy one. And I started you know buying books even in language that I don't read. Did you go to my apartment in New York? It's like a small museum to the San Luis. I have uh, the menu from the boat. I have postcard plate marks, a lot of picture postcard. I have the diary from the captain, signed by him, and from 1949, I think he published. It's only 100 copies, I see one of them is very sacred for me. And then I became a father, and everything changed. When I became a father, I decided that I'm going to do a novel, it's going to be in the first person of my daughter. And even, as I explained, that I am not Jewish or I'm not part of the but story. But that's where you
0: got the idea for the structure. Uh, exactly,
1: yeah. It's, it's the voice of my daughter. My daughter gave voice to Hannah and Anna. And, you know, Alma, the old lady, the mother, is the voice of my grandmother saying Cuba is going to pay for it, you know, very dearly. I use her phrase even in the book. And then when I, you know, I build the whole story, I... I did a lot of mix, you know. I talk about the September 11 too, because talking to my daughter, the Holocaust for her is like for me, the ancient Greece. history. Yeah, it's ancient, you know, it's something really far, far away. For her, no, September 11 is current. And I always explain to her, and when I present in the book, this happened a couple of years ago only. You know, we're talking, it was yesterday. Right now, it sounds like it's from the last century but it can happen again, you know, this is part of our story.
0: Well, I think what Thomas Keneally does mm-hmm, mm-hmm. is he ties it to what's happening now. Exactly. With yeah. refugees mm-hmm. who are being turned away from various countries around the world. Yeah. As well. I
1: remember when I presented, because the book in English, the first country was a bestseller, was Australia, then Canada, and then United States, it was a and. Presenting the book around the whole country, everybody said, because it was in the middle of the Syrian crisis, crossing the whole Europe, over one million refugees. And everybody said, Oh, the timing is perfect. You wrote this book thinking about the Syrian. No, you know, make, you know, maybe (laughs) in another level of my mind. But this this is part of the story that I want to get alive. You know, sometimes reading. Helps because uh, right now in Canada last year, and the book you know has been a bestseller in Canada for two years. And uh, I, I think for the first six months it was number one on the list. And we have a survivor in Canada, and I call her the Mexican of the San Louis <laughs> because she uh, she and her mother they, and father they send them to. Uh, Ravenburg and and, and different camps uh, in Holland. And she survived the war. And then an uncle in Mexico, you know, requested them and they received them. And she grew up in Mexico eating tacos. She speaks Spanish. You know, she get married another German a Jewish-German, but she's a Mexican one. She's, been, she's a Mexican citizen. And she lives right now in Canada because one of the, uh, her son is a professor at the University of Toronto. I did the whole tour with her. You so did my, the tour of
0: Canada with
1: her. In, Yeah, exactly, wow. with the German girl. And then last year, uh, Prime Minister Trudeau His office contact me, and I helped to find all the the children of the St. Louis. You know, we get like seven, I think, boys and girls. They are in the eighties and nineties, and he did a kind of apology in the House of Commons uh, last year. It was very emotional to have all my. Real no, I cry. I cry all the time. <laughs> and I cry writing the book. I cry presenting the book. I cry when I have my survivors. <laughs> and when I presented the daughter cell in New York in May, I have my. Four old ladies in the front row. You know, for me, it's, it's really very emotional. He's saying I have my children, I cry watching a movie. If you
0: talk <laughs> about your cat, I can I can cry here. Yeah. Well, let, let's see if we can get you to cry. I mean, <laughs> no, no, well. but. But so it's really interesting is because so then you segue into the daughter's tale, yeah. which takes pl- you similar structure, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Something contemporary and something kind of in World War II, yeah. also dealing with a Jewish family yeah. as well. And
1: I, the St. Louis, I mentioned the St. Louis in the second right. one, but in this book, I'm trying to get another story that we forget. Um, and the same case, like the St. Louis, I have Orador Surglain in the cell. In the one that I'm writing right now, The Night Travel, I have another part of the history that we tend to forget. And you know why? Because it's easy to say Hitler killed over six million Jewish when you said, part of the triad was United States, Canada, and Cuba, we preferred to put it on the side because it was until 2008 that President Obama invited the survivors to the Congress and did the kind of apology. We're still waiting for Cuba. Someday we're going to do it too. In Orador Sur is the same. This is a small village in the south of France. And I think it was in June 1940s, the SS, the Nazi arrived, put everybody inside the church over 600 women and children, and they burned them alive and destroyed the whole town. But you know, I went to to Orador-sur-Glane. You have to go to Limoges and take a car from there. Nobody knows what is, you know, I'm talking about like a 10 minute drive. Who is Orador-sur-Glane? Nobody knows. Most of the tourists are Asian and me. You know why? Because it was the SS, the Nazi, with the help of the uh, French police. The French collaborate. And it's sad, you know. After the war, Charles ago, he, he decided to do like a, a memorial. He rebuilt the town on the side and keep all the destruction. Uh, and this is like a kind of museum, but you know, I they prefer not to talk about it.
0: Well, you know, you you these hinges, I call mm-hmm. them hinges of history. These little unforeseen mm-hmm. things. Um, when I talked earlier about. The long and winding road that you took to come to Miami, mm-hmm. in essence, um, do you think that your empathetic or your empathy for these stories mm-hmm. also comes from your story as well to some extent? I,
1: I suppose you know. At the end of my refugee, yeah. you know, <laughs> I uh, I am exiled, Cuban exile. I have to leave my country and. And using part of the story, even in the daughter's cell, uh, everything started with a simple it's, it's a scene. is This woman, she's the owner of a bookstore. I know. I know. And the Guardian of Letter. And she has to decide which book you're going to save. Right. And that was the, the first thing that I wrote, like, you know, five years ago, I remember, or more. I have all the, you know, I spend like a 100 pages. Right now it's only 10 pages. But I remember building the whole story around if you have to save one book, which book you're going to save. And when I came to Miami in 1991, I remember talking to my mother and my grandmother and saying, everybody's coming to Miami, please bring, bring, I want to have my books here. And now you can buy any book that you want. <laughs> but you know, but I want my books. For me, were important. And one day, my mother said, someone's coming. And she said she only can read one book. Oh, my God. I was thinking, well, I'm going to have the biggest one. You know which book I said they have to bring? Madame Bovary from Flaubert. Oh, it's how interesting. You know, I love because I read it when I was 10 years old. Right, right. And for me, you know, it was the kind of novel, you know, I, I read book that was not appropriate for my age maybe. I remember drinking vinegar like Emma Bovary right. and my daughter said Emma because Emma Bovary, you know. And it was important for me. Every time that I travel, I bought a new book with a different translation and different cover. I have like a, you know twenty madame Bovary in my in my house, yeah.
0: so tell us about your life in Cuba. Uh-huh. What was your life like there?
1: I think i you know i I have a, like a good life living with my whole family. I have a great family you lived in Havana in Havana yeah we live in, in a beautiful house. My family you know my mother became an engineer working everybody worked for the government right? and said she have like a a good job, but my grandfather you know he was like against the revolution, but it was a very ethic guy, you know, with a good present, with money, we still have money, and then I think, I for me it was like a weird to have my grandfather that everybody respects, and you know, he's the one, because we have the houses and the food and everything, and my mother, my father, even my grandmother, they are, a, with the revolution, you know? It was that kind of dichotomy that I grew up. I never be, I never understand, I feel like an outsider all the time, you know? Maybe because I am shy, I don't talk too much in classes, but but I have good grades and that saved me all the time, you know, and we live like in a bubble. Then I am gay. That's another issue, you know. If you remember during the 60s and 70s. very difficult. They have concentration camp for gays, you know. And maybe that's the reason when I was 18 years old, I was 18 years old, I have a relationship with a, a girl, and then I get married at 20, I divorce at 22. But I went to a college, it was the University of Art, that we were the weir. In the society, you know, and they you don't you don't touch the artists, you don't touch you know the dancer, the musician. I was studying at that moment theater and dance critic, and I feel that I grew up in a bubble. And our way to be against the government is is writing something, you know, for outside. We never. Uh, I. You were a cultural critic. Exactly. Really. Yeah, and all the theaters and the pieces is always like a. A, a big influence from the states from Europe you know because uh, the generation before us I am from the 80s they they talk about you know the the people work the workers and the revolution and everything is politic we're trying to avoid that
0: you were the next generation exactly
1: yeah is you see here most most of the artists are here they are Beria. So then, you know, sure. they, the painter, they paint like you don't feel like you're in Cuba. You know, it's,
0: it's right. postmodernism. Well, what's is, what's yeah. very interesting, I mean, w- early on, I met, obviously, before he died, was Ronaldo Arenas. Exactly. Yeah, he yeah. came over, mm-hmm. I guess, in Mariel, right? Mm-hmm. He was came He's a over, Marielito. He yeah. was a Marielito. And he had a very hard transition mm-hmm. coming over. Um, and then he died not too f- mm-hmm. far uh, after that um was there a writing community that you felt a part of while you were there No there wasn't I, I was more part of the painters and the dancers and, and the musician because you know Because you were a critic or I that. was a
1: critic yeah yeah I I wrote a, a you know a play uh, that was the first thing that I published and then I I was as, an, as a journalist, as an editor in a, a
0: theater magazine. You, you were have published a, in Cuba, your Cuba. play was published well, in it, Cuba. It, it,
1: I won an award, it was called Lax Exam. It was very metaphoric and abstract, and that's the only way you can survive in Cuba.
0: It was. It's always very interesting to me as a Miamian, as an Anglo-Miamian, to, 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 to have people like you come mm-hmm. over. Mm-hmm. And I often found that people, even living in the isolation of mm-hmm. Cuba, knew more about Western culture oh, than yeah. most people living in the oh, West. Of course,
1: information. How did you
0: get that information? Uh, I think when you live on an
1: island and like in, and there are communists, you are hung. You, you have hunger for everything. For a movie, for you know, I I belong to the generation when they invented the VCR. And I remember I have my kabuki, my kabuki theater, you know, my dance theater from Germany. I have all this video, and I present it to my students. I remember that we, you know, we have a lot of information magazine.
0: Well, I know I remember meeting somebody who went on. We, it's probably a mutual friend. He went on to work for El, mm-hmm. El Nuevo Herald as well as an editor. And I remember him coming over to the bookstore, and he and I would talk. And he he knew more about uh, underground music. He knew about Laurie Anderson. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. I I adore Laurie Anderson. But he was reading The Village Voice (laughs) in Havana. He was getting The Village Voice. He was figuring out what's going on. It was so interesting to Mm -hmm. me. And it made me understand that when you have that hunger, you'll do anything you can to try to quench it. And, yeah. and, and and quench that thirst. So when did it change? When did you decide that you wanted to come here and live? No, no, I want to live. I I, I, I It always, became too much.
1: Yeah, for me, it's, I. It's, it was claustrophobic. Even, I remember seeing on the first novel that I wrote that I never published, because it's, I wrote it when I was 20 or 21, it's called I Never Gonna Live in an Island Again, something like that, no? And, I was quoting a poem from Cuba because living on an island is claustrophobic and now I live in Manhattan. <laughs> right. But I, I said, but Manhattan like... is the war and the red <laughs> on the continent are the island. But I, I said, I, I have to leave. And I got the opportunity for Pratt Institute. They invite me for a conference. This, okay. In 1991.
0: Pratt in 1991 yeah. invited you. One professor you, you know, went to Havana. Had you
1: been to the United States before? No, no. No. He went to Havana. He read one of my articles in Spain, and he said, "Armando, I want you to come to my class and do a presentation." And I said immediately, you know, <laughs> and and it was hard to get the visa. Uh, and you know, we're talking about 1991, and I got the visa and I came and I said, "I'm gonna stay." Then my partner, I have. I've been with my partner for thirty years, and I got an, an invitation. He's a photographer for the magazine too, and we got an invitation for Brad. Um, and, he yeah. got an invitation. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. you came with him. Yes, oh, a- a- he great. came like a, a different, like a thirty days
0: difference only. But your parents were still down there. We're still
1: down, Yeah, it was a little traumatic, and like a, I think, like a three or four years later my mother decided that she wants to come to the States. My mother arrived first, and then my sister and my nephew.
0: Now when you came, Miami had, the Miami Herald had El Nuevo Herald. El Nuevo Herald, yeah. Which was the Spanish version of the, well, not the Spanish version, yeah. but it was a separate. The edition. It yeah, was a separate edition, separate, yeah. with separate writers and all I, that. I was
1: lucky because when I arrived, the, theater critic from the Nuevo Herald, maybe you remember her, Norma Nurka. Of course, yeah. Norma Nurka was in the Cadiz Festival in Spain. She was my mentor in the Herald. And then when she arrived in Spain, everybody said, the best theater critic you know, is in Miami now. <laughs> they said, my, but she was the theater critic. I said, uh, she gave me an opportunity uh, to write for the Herald, and it was a good training for me because I, I did a lot of interview to all the, the celebrities that I didn't know, because, you know, I I know more about the American artists than the for Latinos artists, and, and then have course. to meet all these famous Latin American celebrities here and interview them. I always uh, was respectful to her. I never uh, wrote a theater critic and the Herald, and they offered me many times, I said, never. You know, I did a lot of dance uh, and ballet critique for the Herald. I did the interview and then Mirtojito, another friend and writer, she was working for news uh, at El Nuevo Herald and he needs a reporter, a clerk reporter at that moment. She was doing interviews to some of the artists from the 80s and she came to my apartment. I have all this painter, the know, we went together to college. And say, I have a position, if you want it, I think you are overqualified. I said, no, no, I want a full-time position. And then that was the best training for me. My editor was Andres Rinaldo at the Herald. And I, in six months, I became from clerk reporter to reporter. And I was writing from the front page. I I was part of the Cuban team. And it was a you know,
0: golden age of journalism. And it was, was
1: great at that moment, yeah. you know, the circulation of the paper. Right. And because I just came from Cuba, I have a lot of access to journalists there. I, I get information, direct information, calling them through Canada. It was a very exciting moment for the newspaper, for me. It was like it a It was great an exciting evening. time in Miami as yeah. well. And, and then at the same around. time, I was getting tired of all this Cuban issues you know and and it was really hard because at that moment i remember it was a big campaign from the from cuban foundation saying i don't believe in the nuevo herald i don't believe in the miami herald and sometimes they were aggressive to the reporter and one of the cuban movie was nominated to an oscar i wrote about it because it was an assignment i was accused a I am
0: a communist. That was a very dark time. Oh, right? Do you remember was, the Dolores Prita? Of course, yeah, yeah. And all of that. Mm-hmm. It was a very, very dark and time.
1: And I I, I wanted, you know, my dream, it was moving to New York. You know, and then Mirtojito got an offer for the New York she Times. She the Times, right. she moved to the time. She went to a dinner, and in the dinner was an editor saying that he was creating People magazine in Spanish and he needs a senior writer. I said, I have your senior writer. <laughs> the next day I took a plane, I did an interview, and the guy said, Armando, you are living. I, I I bought, you know, I am the classic Cuban. I bought it. the day they gave me my full-time job in the Herald, I bought my first house here <laughs> here in Biscayne Park. And you are living, you know, a full-time position. You have a house in Miami, you have your family in Miami. This is a project. People in Espanol, I like, don't think they gonna survive for more than five years. They say, I don't care. I believe, in, I believe in the market. I want to move to New York, and I left everything. And how long ago was that? It was 1997. And we are s- the number one Hispanic magazine in the United right. States. I am the editor-in-chief, you know,
0: since 2007. <laughs> And it's still there, You're you know. Still there. Yeah. And it's it's growing and growing, growing and growing and growing. Yeah. And and that segues right into the fact that the novels that you write, it's so interesting because I read somewhere, <laughs> I think that you said it's interesting because I'm a writer. I write in Spanish for an English speaking American audience. I am a Cuban writer. That right now I write in
1: Spanish for United States, no matter what the language you speak, and for this market. Because when you read my book, you understand that I'm writing for this market uh, specifically. And I write in Spanish, and I remember when I finished the book, it was edited, my editor said, well, now we need to find the best translator in the market. And she sent me three tests. Number one, number two, and number three. And I... I said, Johanna, Johanna Castillo, is my, he was my editor at that moment. And I said, the only one who can translate my book is number three. And she said, Armando, we have a problem. First of all, he's the most expensive one. <laughs> <laughs> he's a diva. You know, he's the, uh, he translates, you know, Isabel Allende, Perez Reverte, you know, he's always busy and you have to worry in his schedule. But the most important part, you have to read your book and he decide if he's going to translate you or not. When he read the German girl, he decided he's going to translate my three books that I signed with Simon Schuster. Mm-hmm. And now I am his nightmare <laughs> because he lives in London, Nick Gaster. And he called me with the time difference and we talk and sometimes we fight because I remember in the German girl, I quote some boleros, you know, the Cuban song, sure. that they don't have any meaning. And he said, uh, one of them is the earring that the moon lost. That's absurd, you know. They said that's impossible. American, they are not going to understand that. This, this is a, you know, this is doesn't have any meaning for me too. But that's the name of the bolero, no? We were fighting all the time. I am lucky to work with him, and you know.
0: That's, that's, that's yeah. beautiful. And the other change, I mean, just as a bookseller, the beautiful thing is that they did have a Joanna Castillo mm-hmm. at a publishing house who read Spanish. Because yeah. there was a time where publishers did not have Spanish-speaking mm-hmm. editors um, working yeah. there at all.
1: And, you know, and I think I, I, the German girl exists because Joanna Castillo read uh, Searching for Emma. Searching for Emma, it wasn't in Spanish. When she read the book, she said, I love the book. You have to write a novel. I want a novel from you. And I said, okay, if you talk to any writer here in Miami, all of them, they have (laughs) two or three novels under their bed. And I said, okay, I have a novel. I have an idea. I have been writing this book for more than 10 years. But I don't know. I, I need to have my first sentence, my ending. I have to have everything in my head because... I am a journalist, I never miss a deadline. For me, that's sacred. I said, Armando, I want the book now. <laughs> I said, okay. I I I did like a paragraph, I presented, and she said, I wanna present it to the board in Simon & Schuster. It take like a two weeks to get an, an offer for you. And then let's talk about the timing that you need. Two weeks, the next day, I have a great offer from that. I say, okay, I love it. I feel lucky, I am grateful, but I need another two years to finish my book. You know, because I am a slow writer. I, am, I have a full-time job. I have three kids, you know. And he said, one year. It was, We were fighting all the time. I was like, okay, one year, give me one year, but not six months, because they want the book in six months. And, and okay, we got a deal, we signed the contract, and then, he made me to sign another for the next two books, and I sold the Night, the Daughter and the Night Traveler, with only one sentence. The Night Traveler was a sentence. The Daughter's Tale, I have a couple of characters. <laughs> and the bookseller she'll sing a book.
0: Yeah. So, so this will be a trilogy in a sense. And it's I, not really yeah, a trilogy, exactly. but, but it's three if, books.
1: If We talk about marketing. Is right. it's a trilogy? But they're completely independent books. And maybe I'm gonna mention the San Luis in the second one, and it's another part of the history that I'm trying so to get. So the third back. one is the Night Traveler. The Night Traveler. Yeah, I'm working right now, and, and I'm that's very. That's another
0: hinge of another exactly. part. Uh, yeah. a hidden piece exactly. of, <laughs> of, of the war. And
1: with so. the Night Traveler, I'm coming back to Cuba. Ah. Again, uh, one of the acts, because this is going to be act one, act two, and act three. The second act is going to be in Cuba.
0: I think I also read somewhere, to change the subject a little bit, that when Obama opened Cuba, (laughs) you felt so much hope like so many other people did. And you must feel the opposite now, I
1: assume. (laughs) Okay, when they opened their relationship uh, with Cuba, the publisher weekly, you know, the magazine. They uh, had a trip. Exactly, there. they organized. one of the people from, from Books and Books went there, Raquelita, yeah, Raquel, yeah. we went together. And they said, okay, let's, uh, they invite me, not because of the book, because the German girl was in, it was ed- in editing or translation, I don't remember. But I, I am the editor of People in Español and they invited my, the publisher to, you know, uh, and he said, okay, that's fine, but I'm Cuban. You know, I have to apply for a Cuban passport. I used to work for the Herald. They denied my visa all the time when I used to work for the Herald. But, you know, if my company is gonna pay for it, that's an opportunity for me because I finished the German girl, but it's, it's different if you can go again to my house and the places and and see the, you know.
0: Did the, you still have some relatives down there at all? My father lived there. Oh, your father Yeah, he, My there.
1: father lived with another, you know, with his, with uh, his new wife world. and... World. But it's my father, no? Of course. It's not like the and I it's a good guy. It's not my kind of father, but you know, and I want to see my father and my friends. I want to go back to college and see the buildings and my alma mater, you know. And then I applied and they gave me my permit of Disembark. And I went there and I it was Incredible, no. With all this bookseller and uh, Johanna prepared like a postcard, and uh, you know, in every dinner I I give a a card to these people, and the first one it was someone like maybe you know her. She's uh, Annie, Phil, uh, Annie Philbrick. Annie Of course, yeah, 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 yeah. We were sitting across, and and I said, okay, this is the book that I'm writing. Next day, Annie Philbrick called... <laughs> The director of marketing, I said, arriving in New York, I want to read the draft immediately. I want to have it, and she became my the godmother of my book. Hope she did a have. tour in the East Coast with me, with different bookstore, and the first time that I present my book is in her bookstore. You know, yeah, and it's beautiful, yeah. beautiful bookstore. So book and then I said, I I, I went to the a small Holocaust museum that they have in Havana, in a kind of synagogue that this woman, Mayra Levy, she fought for over 10 years to get the building back to her. It was from her uh, grandfather. And with the help of the government of Israel and Steven Spielberg, she got the, the building back partially, not for religious service, but for the holiday or, you know, kind of studies or whatever. And they have they opened the Holocaust Museum with a couple of pictures. Spielberg donated, you know, the video that he did to all right. the survivors. And they put a picture of the St. Louis without a caption, you know, because they opened the museum with the condition that uh, they have to say that Cuba always helped right. the Jewish refugee. And I said, hey, Mayra, I'm going to, I'm coming next year with the same group. We're going to donate 100 copies of The German Girl. And I'm going to donate most of the document that, that I have from the San mm. Luis. No, I donate I, the diary from the captain, signed by him, pictures, document, photo, some of them photocopies. But if Cuba is part of the tragedy, you have to have information for of the course. next generation. The next year, Judith Kerr, Johanna, the president of Patriot, everybody went with the company. When we arrived, all the books from the American delegation, it was uh, you know, detained. at at the border and costume. And in, in my paranoia, I said, oh my God, this is because of the German girl. And the guy said, no, don't worry, tomorrow is, gonna, t- tomorrow is a Sunday, I don't think you're gonna get this, you know, all the, <laughs> they built all the, the bookshelf, it was empty. With no books. In, with, yeah. with, without books from the American delegation. Next day, they have all the book, but not the German girl. And Judith, they have a present. She has a presentation for the old, the bookseller. And they said you can mention the German girl. And it, that was a Sunday. Monday morning, I'm gonna have a presentation of my book, the PowerPoint that I have. And I'm gonna do the donation. And I call Mira. I said, "Okay, I'm leaving Tuesday, but you stay here. I don't want to bring any problem to you." And I said, "Armando, don't worry. We're gonna do the presentation." They can't cancel this. Next day I arrived and she was pale. I said, they called you? Well, of course they called me. They have all this police here in the synagogue. But I said, you can't cancel. I invited the ambassador from Poland, Holland, Canada, over 2,000 Jewish community there. They invited from the different you know, uh, community around Havana. And I was in panic. They said that I needed a religious visa to do a presentation in the synagogue. Oh, wow. And then I started my presentation. I said, "I am not a rabbi. I am not doing a ju- uh, religious uh, presentation. I'm doing a donation. This is part of the history. Even here, you have a picture of the San Luis, and you're gonna learn more about the San Luis." And I done with Cuba. You know, for me, my mother tested me all the time. Don't be
0: alone. They didn't shut it down. No, no, they, they key, let they, they let they, you, they, you do. It.
1: It. it was like a three hundred people. What you felt? I felt like that. Then I have AP, Reuters, CNN. Everybody doing interview. I I have to talk carefully because I can't talk against the synagogue, or Mayra. It was a it was a nightmare. And the funny thing, another writing for Miami. She did a piece for I don't know if well, for the New York Times. She interviewed me because she read about my experience, and. She she did the interview and then she talked to the president of the Cuban Institute, the book uh, the book institute in right. Havana, and the answer, the quote, was, uh, "We can ban any book without explanation." But you know, the first independent book story has to be yours. Books and books has to be in Havana. That's right. You knew you, kn-
0: you knew it was someday. You know, yeah. it's. I hope we all live to see yeah. it. <laughs> no, <not. laughs> Listen, Armando, it's just been wonderful talking Thank to you, you. and Thank i'm you. so happy uh, at all of your success and happy that you're back in miami at least for miami's home
1: for me you know
0: even i have my mother my sister my
1: friend you know I- and I spent only, I think, when I came from Cuba, it was only five years. I live more more time in even in New York than in, in, in Cuba, but Miami's home and books books and books, you know. I presented a busca de Emma in searching for Emma
0: right. here. And did and, you know Enrique Fernandez as well? well yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah Enrique. Yeah. We well, you know he he died he unfortunately died. Yeah, yeah. recently. But I remember him writing a uh, he wrote a a a little essay about um Food in Cuba, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I forget what mm-hmm. it's called, but basically he was saying that Cuban cooking here isn't mm-hmm. really the same kind of Cuban cooking of that everybody not. remembers. Uh, and he particularly says New York pretends they have yeah. Cuban cooking. <laughs> of course not. He says yeah. that he went into a re- when he lived in New York, he went into a restaurant in New York, and the only thing Cuban about it. Was Gloria Estefan coming out of the speakers? <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I I belong to a generation that grew up eating, you know, Soviet uh, meat right. in a right. can and peppers. You know, nothing. I discovered the Cuban sandwich in Miami. You know, my my generation they don't know about <laughs> black beans. You know, it's funny. It is know. funny when it's... you have sixty years, you know, with a dictatorship. It you wipes, love your culture it, it you wipes know? out culture exactly, yeah.
0: same thing happened in China with the exactly, cultural revolution yeah. but I have to say I'm so happy that it's an all, honor to be here all's yeah. well yeah. that ends well and The German Girl, The Daughter's Tale if you haven't read them make sure that you do they are some of the best historical novels that you can ever approach so uh, Armando Correa thank you for being on thank The you. Literary Life thank you